The Falcons need receiver help, and there's a rumor out there that DeAndre Hopkins is in their crosshairs. We'll break down the possible trade on today's Locked On Falcons. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Sirius Black. And, of course, the most humble host that has ever existed. Barack Obama called me personally and told me that I am so very humble and he appreciates me for that. And, of course, I'm here on this illustrious Locked on Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked on Sports Atlanta podcast family, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sports book of the NFL. Make every moment more by visiting FanDuel.com slash Locked on today to get started. And, guys, we thank you for making this illustrious podcast your first listen each and every day. Subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast and we want to also let you know that you can check us out on your roku and amazon fire tv by downloading the locked on sports atlanta app so later in today's episode we will be joined by jake lisco uh, the co-host of locked on Bengals, to talk about jesse bates a conversation i had a week ago finally may maybe get the chance to air it on tonight's episode it always seems like something's coming up uh and i'm sure something will come up you know during the airing of this episode on on youtube uh or something else and we'll probably just have to talk about it on tomorrow's episode but uh we'll also get into the falcons sniffing around uh a certain Bengals corner and trey flowers and we'll get into sort of my film breakdown of caden ellis and david Anyamata a little bit later on the show but we'll kick things off talking about the deandre hopkins trade rumors and this comes from ben albright over at sports not who listed the falcons among four teams uh including the patriots giants and titans that are reportedly interested in hopkins we heard uh from ian rapaport of nfl network uh the other day that you know trade talks are heating up for hopkins and today's episode isn't really necessarily to discuss the viability of this rumor uh whether you buy it or not uh you know but i do think it's a worthwhile conversation to talk about the possibility of DeAndre Hopkins, because the Falcons certainly need to add another weapon at the wide receiver position. We've discussed uh, possible trade candidates, including DeAndre Hopkins on previous episodes, I believe on Mock Draft Monday's episode earlier this week. So let's do a deeper dive into specifically trading for DeAndre Hopkins. And it makes sense, even if you're just connecting the dots that the Falcons might pursue Hopkins, because you have that coaching connection, that familiarity between Hopkins and the Falcons wide receiver coach and TJ Yates. Obviously, Yates played with Hopkins uh, when Yates was a quarterback in Houston for several years. We know that this coaching staff loves to add players that they are familiar with. If you look at the eight additions that the Falcons have made this offseason, six of those players have had previous connections with a current coaching staff member. And when you look at the pros of trading for DeAndre Hopkins, obviously the first thing that stands out is you're getting better at the wide receiver position. We all know that DeAndre Hopkins is a very good receiver, potential Hall of Famer, uh, is is certainly going to upgrade that room, still has some juice left. If you look at his last 17 games, he's been in and out of lineup with injuries and the suspension, PED suspension this past year. But if you just look at his last 17 games over the last two seasons in Arizona, you look at the number of catches and targets and yards and touchdowns, it's about on par with the numbers that Devontae Smith put 
up this past year in Philadelphia, uh, who was ninth in the NFL in receiving yards this past year. You look at his yards per route run, the PFF metric for, you know, receivers. It's on par with what DK Metcalf's yards per route run was this past year. So while Hopkins isn't necessarily performing and producing at the elite level that he was four or five years ago, where he was arguably the best receiver in the league and certainly in the top three to five receivers in the league, you know, the numbers still suggest that at least if, when healthy uh, and, and playing that he's still a guy that's probably in the top 10 to 15 range of receivers. And obviously adding that type of playmaker at the receiver position is very beneficial to the development of a young quarterback like Desmond Ritter. And you look around the league, you know, and this gets back to the heart of the debates and discussions around Lamar Jackson and just how good he is. You know, the, the big concern when people talk about why Lamar Jackson hasn't necessarily gotten the help that some of the other premier young quarterbacks in the league have. We look at Jalen Hurts getting A.J. Brown in a boost that he got a year ago. Joe Burrow with Jamar Chase two years ago. Uh, Josh Allen with Stephon Diggs a couple of years ago. Patrick Mahomes coming into the league with uh, Tyreek Hill. You can even go all the way back to Matt Ryan's uh, early career having that sort of alpha receiver in the room with Roddy White uh, and, you know, the the legit criticism of the Ravens and what they've built there is they haven't necessarily given that type of weapon uh, at the wide receiver position for Lamar Jackson. So we don't necessarily know how good he truly is. And while the Falcons can hope that uh, Drake London and Kyle Pitts can be that sort of alpha receiver, we just don't know if those guys are that guy yet. And at least for the next for foreseeable future, this offseason, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, if he is even if he isn't the player that he was a couple of years ago, is still probably the closest thing to that type of alpha receiver that is going to do wonders for a young quarterback like a Desmond Ritter. And even if you're not necessarily you're you're still in denial, right? Uh, about the Falcons moving forward with Desmond Ritter, wh whoever you envision as the Falcons quarterback of the future, who regardless. De DeAndre Hopkins would do uh, wonders and allow that player to put their best foot forward. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of a core building block that we've seen repeated time and time again, that the successful quarterbacks in the league, particularly the younger ones, tend to have that alpha receiver in the room at some point in their early development. And that can help spearhead uh, and launch them into the next tier. And we know we can we can imagine what this offense was going to look like with Pitts, with London, with uh, DeAndre Hopkins. We know that this offensive identity is you know, running the football early downs are going to run the football third down. They're going to hope to get into third and manageables and move the chains. And it would be very hard to stop an offense that has Hopkins, London and Pitts in those third down situations. You know, I, you can make an argument that it would be off very similar to the trio that the Falcons had in 2012 in Matt Ryan's sort of breakout year uh, with Julio and Roddy and, and Tony Gonzalez. So that's kind of the, 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 the case for why you would make this trade. You know, the case against it, the cons of this trade is it mostly center around the question marks surrounding DeAndre Hopkins, given his age, given his health, given some durability concerns. He's going to be 31 years old later this year. And so you do wonder about the longevity. Is this a long term move or is this just sort of a shot of adrenaline over the next year or two that you're hoping for? There's been nagging injuries the last couple of years with Hopkins and Falcon fans are very familiar that, you know, once these receivers get over the age of 30, the injuries that they were able to gut through tend to nag a little bit more. Obviously we experienced that with Julio Jones towards the end of his time here. And obviously the teams like Tennessee and Tampa Bay that had Julio the last couple of years since he moved on and you know, that thing was sort of dialed up to 11 in regard to that. And, you know, Similarly, I think Hopkins is going to be a high maintenance player, not necessarily from a personality standpoint, but you're you're probably going to have to manage him 
keep him on a pitch count, those types of things. And I'm not sure if the Falcons are necessarily, uh, you know, eager to do that. Right. Uh, the other factor is going to be money. Right. Um, Hopkins has about thirty four million dollars left on the final two years of his contract in Arizona. I think his cap hit in 2023 for a team trading for him would be uh, about nineteen million dollars for a team like the Falcons. I believe the Falcons, based off of most recent estimates, have somewhere they could they have enough cap space to absorb that contract uh, with about twenty to twenty five million dollars in cap space. But certainly you're going to have to rework that deal uh, in order to make that cap hit much more manageable uh moving forward and i would imagine the scenario that the falcons would do with hopkins is similar to what the cardinals did three years ago when they acquired hopkins from houston uh which they gave him a two-year extension with uh averaging 27 million dollars a year with about 43 million dollars guaranteed across that 54 million dollars and again just spitballing as a way of sort of imagining what you could see with the Falcons is taking the $34 million that he's due over the next two seasons, making that guaranteed on a two year extension and building in similar to what Arizona did building in some sort of performance or playing time incentives in the contract that allow it to void. And I think the way that the Falcons would do it is they would want that contract to void after 2024. If he hits those uh, incentives, because I don't think you necessarily want to be committing significant dollars in 2025 to DeAndre Hopkins at the age of 33, that's going to be around the time that you're going to potentially trade or, I mean, extend guys like Pitts in London. Are we looking to do so? So I think you want to sort of move on from DeAndre Hopkins. You kind of want to rent him for two years and then move on. And is that worthwhile for a team like Atlanta, especially to give up premium draft picks to do so? I would imagine Arizona wants to get back uh, similar to what they gave up to get him, which was a second round pick, a fourth round pick and running back David Johnson back in 2020 to get Hopkins and a fourth round pick in exchange for him. So you would imagine Arizona is asking for a second round pick and plus a third round pick and plus uh, something else. Uh, although Albert Breer of Sports Illustrated mentioned today in a column that he wrote on Wednesday uh, that uh, that just dropped right before I started recording this episode that the Cardinals are unlikely to get that price due to Hopkins's injury history, recent injury history. And it's more likely that you would uh, get him. You would, they, Arizona would have to settle for something closer to what the Cowboys just gave up for Brandon cooks, which was a fifth and a sixth. So potentially two day three picks, let's say uh, for Deandre Hopkins. So we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, obviously I think for the lower price, if you're asking the question, is that worth it to, to basically rent, you know, DeAndre Hopkins for the next two years? I, I think you can much better justify it if you only have to give up, say, a fourth and a, and a fifth for DeAndre Hopkins rather than a second and a fourth or something like that. Um, and, you know, if your goal is to maximize Desmond Ritter over the next two years and allow him to play the best possible football that he can play, then I, I think it would be worth it for that. But, you know, the downside of that is if you're giving up particularly a, a day two pick, let's say, uh, you know, you're losing out of a potential starter if you hit on that pick. That's a guy that theoretically could start, you know, five to seven years for your football team rather than a player like DeAndre Hopkins that you're basically renting for, you know, two years. Right. And then I guess, is that worth it? Again, opinions may vary, uh, you know, how you feel about it may be different from other people uh, may feel about sort of my take on it is 
if I'm going to have to give up those premium assets, I would much rather do it for a younger player that is going to at least have the potential to be more than a two-year rental. So if it was me and you're asking me, would I rather trade for DeAndre Hopkins or Hunter Renfro from the Raiders, Tyler Boyd from the Bengals, or Van Jefferson from the Rams, those trades to me make a little bit more sense just because those guys are two to three years younger than DeAndre Hopkins. So therefore, you're going to potentially get, you know, you know, instead of two years, you're going to get like four or five years out of those guys, theoretically. And you probably don't have to work as hard to rework their contracts. You might have to do some slight tweaking, you know, Boyd and, Hop and Jefferson, I'm sorry, are entering contract year. So, you know, it's very likely that you have to extend them after the season. Um, but it is one of those things where I do feel like, you know, those trades make a little bit more sense. But then again, if I can trade a fifth and a sixth for DeAndre Hopkins, but I have to give up a three for Boyd or Renfro, Again, maybe that swings it back in DeAndre Hopkins' direction. So I'm curious how you guys feel on this rumor. You know, are you ignoring it? Do you, you, know, you think it's bunk or are you buying it? Uh, and sort of do you think it's worthwhile for the Falcons to go after a DeAndre Hopkins with the idea of, you know, potentially renting him for the next two years uh, and, and paying him, you know, a decent amount of money uh, over those two years? So, you know, the, the rent's kind of high, right? <laughs> you know, it's a penthouse. Maybe the neighborhood is not what it w once was uh, in, in terms of DeAndre Hopkins losing a little bit of a step, but it's still a nice place, a nice luxury apartment. So is that worth renting for the next two years? Sound off in the comments. I, I'd love to hear your guys' feedback on that, but we will move on from DeAndre Hopkins. We'll talk about uh, the Falcons visiting with a Cincinnati Bengals corner in Trey Flowers, what he could see, what his role could be, as well as we'll break down sort of my watching of Caden Ellis and David Anyamata on film, and I'll give you my breakdown on what those guys are going to add to this defense in 2023 and beyond. But before we get there, guys, uh, you know, the tournament is heating up. It's Sweet 16 time, and it's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Download the app. It's safe, secure, super easy to use, and new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That means you get bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win, and whether you're betting on the tournament, whether you're betting on NBA, the XFL, or you're putting out NFL draft props, again, you know, I think it's easy money to put 16 to 1 odds for Anthony Richardson to be drafted by the Las Vegas Raiders. I feel like, you know, that's a slam dunk type of bet, but you don't have to take my word for it. And if you want to put that money down, guess what? No sweat first bet, right? You can put that as your first bet. If it, if it doesn't hit, then guess what? You don't lose anything. You get some bonus bets back. So take advantage of that no sweat first bet by going to FanDuel.com slash locked on. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. So the Falcons uh, visited with uh, another free agent corner in Trey Flowers, the former Cincinnati Bengals, on Tuesday. So we'll find out if... Uh, you know, the Falcons wind up signing him. Of course, as I say this, this probably breaking right now on Twitter that the Falcons have signed him to a contract. But if you don't know anything about Trey Flowers, uh, we're not referring to the former New England Patriots pass rusher that uh, wrecked us in, in the Super Bowl several years ago. We're talking about a defensive back that was a former fifth round pick of the Seattle Seahawks back in 2018. He started for the Seahawks. Uh, as an outside corner for the first two years of his NFL career wasn't particularly great. And that's understandable because Trey Flowers wasn't a cornerback in college. He was a safety in college. He played safety at Oklahoma State, but because of his size and his length, Seattle did the thing that they had been doing a lot 
over the previous decade, which was try to convert him to corner. It didn't necessarily work. And to me, it's not to say that Trey Flowers was the catalyst that brought down their defense, but I think it, it's not a coincidence that they tried that. And then shortly after moving on from Trey Flowers, they wound up cutting him through uh, midway through the 2021 season. But it was around that time when the Seattle realized, okay, the way the Seahawks style of defense, uh, you know, cover three, all that sort of stuff, big, long corners that play zone. Uh, that style of defense is, is is being phased out in the NFL, is, is going the way of the dodo, and let's try to get with the times. And so I, I don't think that's a coincidence that, you know, Trey Flowers was kind of the last hurrah that the Seattle was trying to make to continue to play that style of defense. He was cut midway through 2021. The Bengals picked him up. Um, and from what I understand, uh, and again, I didn't talk about Trey Flowers with Jake Lisko uh, of Locked On Bengals because I didn't know this at the time when we recorded this. But um, from what I understand, he played more of a safety role this past year. He kind of was designated as their tight end eraser for them uh, with some of the AFC Titans that they were facing. But his primary role the past two seasons in Cincinnati was on special teams where he served as a gunner on the punt coverage team. And that's notable because the Falcons just added one gunner in Mac Hollins, uh, who potentially could replace, uh, you know, Kadero Hodge, one of their gunners on the punt coverage team at the wide receiver position. And they also lost Mike Ford, their other gunner at the cornerback position. So you could imagine the Falcons are targeting a guy like Trey Flowers to sort of step into that role as a reserve backup uh, corner slash safety that can play on special teams. So you're getting that special teams value. You're getting, you're adding size to the cornerback room or, or really the DB room uh, because of the loss of Isaiah Oliver. You're getting some positional versatility uh, with flowers being able to play not only corner, but also safety, which is, you know, something that you're also missing due to the loss of Oliver. And we saw him dabble in that role late in last season. And you're getting a player that could also help you add some size to cover some of the tight ends because for most of, last year the guy that the falcons tasked with covering tight ends was richie grant and while richie grant did an admirable job doing that you know i don't think you ideally want a 511 195 pound safety matching up against like six foot four six foot five 255 pound tight ends on a consistent basis and flowers with his size about what six two two ten somewhere around there uh is going to give you a lot more in that regard so we'll see if the falcons wind up adding trey flowers but we'll move aside and talk about Caden Ellis and David Onyemata in my film breakdown uh, just in a moment. But I do want to give a special shout out to one particular listener that, you know, I'm enjoying the idea of the Falcon signing this Cincinnati Bengals cornerback over a certain other Cincinnati Bengals quarterback. And only one person out there knows who I'm talking about. Uh, to and about and I, I really I, I really hope the Falcons sign Trey Flowers just so I can rub it in your face uh, for all future uh, conversations that we have in the future so that's just me being petty uh, for no particular reason but let's talk about Caden Ellis and David Onyemata and really I don't have a whole lot else to add that we haven't already sort of heard from others like Ross Jackson of Locked on Saints and I'm sure you've heard other people opine about these signings but I did go back and watch a handful of Ellis and, and Onyemata games or Saints games from the the last season um and when i look at caden ellis you know his biggest strength is going to be that pass rush ability I, I do expect the falcons to feature that quite a bit um it'll be interesting to see exactly how the falcons deploy him i know the saints often would rush him with four with three other d linemen um in in sort of like a three two six dime look uh that they had and i could see the falcons doing something similar with three other d linemen like J grady jarrett david onyamata and uh arnold Ebiketti. Um, you know, I'm also curious to see if the Falcons 
are willing to dial up more five and six man pressures this year with a guy like Caden Ellis on the roster than they were last year and traditionally than where the Saints were uh, with they tended to not um, bring those five plus man pressures uh, similar to the Falcons as well. So uh, Ellis is also a good run defender. He's physical at the point of attack. He plays well downhill, has good instincts there. Coverage is probably the biggest weakness of his game, but he's not bad there. Uh, you just don't necessarily want to match him up in man coverage against like, you know, Alvin Kamara or Aaron Jones or anything like that, but he's pretty solid in zone. You know, I imagine a lot of the instances where the Falcons will be playing man coverage on the back end. Those will be instances where the, the Falcons will prefer to rush Caden Ellis as a blitzer or whatever, as opposed to, you know, allowing him to drop in the coverage in zone and whatnot. Moving on to David Onyemata. I've heard other people's kind of refer to him as kind of a glue guy. And I think that's a, probably a good way to describe him. He's not a guy that really shines, stands out in one particular aspect of the game. Uh, he's just kind of good at everything, right? But you're not going to pop on the film and see him ever really dominate games, or at least not last year. Um, but he's a guy that's going to do his job. You know, whenever you ask him of him, he's going to be able to do it, whether that's rushing the quarterback, whether it's stopping the run, whether in his ability to line up at multiple spots across the D-line. I heard Nate Tice of the Athletic Football Podcast say the other day when talking about free agent moves that he liked, that he liked the Anyamata signing for the Falcons, and the way that he termed it is you're adding a B-plus defender to a Falcons defense that had a lot of D and D-minus level defenders. And whether you agree with that sentiment, you know, I think – uh, in general, that's a, a fair assessment of what Ranyamada is bringing to the table. Um, and, you know, he's probably ideally served to be the third or fourth guy in your rotation. And obviously with Grady Jarrett and hoping for a big year two jump from Arnold Epkedi, he can kind of fit in that. Obviously, if the Falcons were to bring in Calais Campbell or someone else, uh, you know, they could push him down further in the pecking order. And that just, I think, only makes things better for you. Um, and I think that's a, a good problem to have. And so I think... The, another way to summarize what David Anyamata brings to the table is he's going to be a guy that's going to raise your floor, but not necessarily raise your ceiling as a defensive line unit. If you understand what I'm saying, like in terms of a guy that's going to, not going to necessarily take over games. But, you know, I do think if you're going to be uh, particularly hopeful about the David Anyamata side, you're hoping that, you know, potentially he's going to do more. He's going to benefit more from playing next to Grady Jarrett than necessarily Grady Jarrett benefits from playing next to him. And so we could see him have some of those dominant performances because of all the attention that Grady Jarrett and potentially other players on the Falcons defensive line absorb. And he's going to consistently be able to take advantage of the one on ones that he's potentially going to see more of in Atlanta than he saw this past year in New Orleans. So those are my thoughts on, on those two guys. Uh, but we'll move the conversation towards the other big free agent acquisition that the Falcons made on the defensive side of the ball by talking about Jesse Bates with the Locked On Bengals co-host Jake Lisko, which I did record last week. So this was pre-Orlando Brown move, uh, Jonah Williams trade talk. So, um, you know, at the end, Jake basically says it's all quiet here on Locked On Bengals talking about free agency. Uh, but, you know, uh, things have changed over the last couple of days. So we will get into that as we uh, wrap up today's Locked on Falcons, guys. But let me go ahead and, and plug, you know, the other shows of the Locked on Sports Atlanta podcast family, including ATL Day Ones with Jarvis Davis and Tanitra Batiste and Hitting Hard with John Chucker. You can find those, of course, on their own podcast feed at Locked on Sports Atlanta. And of course, you can check out Locked on Hawks, Locked on Braves, Locked on Bulldogs on YouTube or wherever you get your favorite podcast. All right, everyone, we are back with another illustrious guest here on the illustrious Locked on Falcons podcast that is none other than Jake Lisko 
one of the co-hosts of the Locked On Bengals podcast. And of course, Jake is here to talk with one of the newest Falcons, a former Cincinnati Bengal in safety, Jesse Bates. And Jake, let's get right into it. What exactly are the Falcons getting in Jesse Bates? Jesse Bates is a rangy, instinctual, good speed, deep safety, primarily. We'll get him in the box a little bit. He'll play and run support from the post-safety spot a little bit in cover three looks, do those sorts of things. But you're primarily getting him for his ability to cover up mistakes on the back end, to put out fires, to be a good communicator, and to, to put those physical tools into, for the most part, the maximum potential as a smart football player back there as a deep safety. I think that he deserves a contract he got. And I think that there's a good player there joining the Atlanta secondary. So I want to talk to you about that contract. Obviously the Bengals franchise tagged him a year ago, could not get a long-term deal done. I've seen other people over the last couple of days talk about while Jesse Bates is a very good corner, maybe he's not quite the type of safety that is worth the type of money that the Falcons wound up paying $16 million a year. I'm just curious to sort of get your thoughts on that and why sort of a long-term contract couldn't work out in Cincinnati. Is it because of that notion of maybe he's not the type of safety that's worth that money, or was it something else? The Bengals might not have gotten to $16 million with Jesse Bates, specifically that number i think the bigger issue for the bengals with base was guaranteed money with his agent david mulligetta being notorious especially with bengals fans for guarantees the deshaun watson contract probably has a lot to do with that but also mulligan has been very successful with a number of safety clients around the league which is where he really made his name originally from what i can understand in in securing the guaranteed portion of the contracts and i'll be honest there and i haven't seen yet what the guarantees were from Atlanta, I think the ship had long sailed for the Bengals anyway after two years of failed negotiations with Mulligan and Jesse Bates that led to that franchise tag. They tried to extend him, couldn't get it done. Had to franchise tag him, couldn't get it done again. And so I don't think that it's a huge difference in money from a Bengals perspective that the Bengals would have offered Jesse Bates on a per-year basis. I think the bigger issue for the Bengals was just the guarantees. But also realistically, if you're the Falcons, you're probably paying a bit of a tax, right? If you look around the NFL, teams that are not coming off of strong playoff runs, and even some of the teams that are, are paying a premium because that's how free agency generally works, right? You tend to pay a little bit more for the top-end guys, especially this year when there's some good depth at the safety position, but it's not there at the top part of the market, and we saw that with tackle, and you see that and a few other positions as well where those top of market guys are really getting that extra, what, 10% maybe to finish the deal just because it's not there this year on the market. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair. Uh, I'm also curious to pick your brain on sort of, you know, a couple of years ago, Jesse Bates had an all pro type of season and the last couple of years may not have gotten the accolades, but I'm just curious, did you see any sort of dip in play? Was it a scheme issue? Was it just maybe he just didn't get the opportunities he had a couple of years ago? What sort of, how would you summarize, you know, the last three or so years of Jesse Bates' time in Cincinnati? I think he's largely the same player. I, I, I guess the, the interception numbers change, the tackle numbers change, 
I think that he's still the same guy. He's probably a little bit better. He didn't really show up in the regular season of that franchise tag year. In some ways, in some games, he left a little bit to be desired, I think, of the position compared to the previously very high level of play. He later added some fuel to that fire in terms of that line of thought when he admitted going into the playoffs that the franchise tag, or maybe it was during the season at some point, the franchise tag really was weighing on his mind in some ways that year. Seemed like he really wanted the security of a long-term deal. So hopefully that's behind him. Um, But I I think all the traits are there, all the skills are there, the mental part of his game is there. So I'm sure there will be, you know, a transition period in the Atlanta defense schematically from what he was very used to with Luana Rumo's defense in Cincinnati. But Anna Rumo also always spoke very highly of what Jesse Bates did in the back end to organize the defense. Jesse Bates and Von Bell, two veterans at safety for the Bengals the last uh, three years where Bell was also in Cincinnati. And losing both of them, the, the concern is the communication in the back end, the coherence with the safeties and the, the cornerbacks, where Anna Rumo said that those guys were operating at a 500 level when you think about university classes, like they're doing safety 501 or 550 or whatever you want to call it, not safety 101. And so you, you still have a really smart player there. And while there was a year where, you know, potentially the production dipped a little bit, I think if you go turn on tape, he looks like the same guy to me. He's still really good as a deep half or deep middle defender. I think he's still really good at breaking on the ball. He's good as a high defender. He's good rotating down to robber. He's not the biggest, most physical guy, but he's always going to have the effort. Go watch the AFC wildcard round when Jesse Bates chases down Tyler Huntley, I think. I think it was Huntley. Might have been somebody else. Uh, around the one-yard line. I think it was someone else, now that I say it out loud. Chases, chases out of Baltimore Raven at the one-yard line. And that leads to the opportunity for the Bengals to get that scoop and score that wins them the AFC wildcard game. So like those hustle plays are there. The intelligence is there. The athleticism is there. The versatility is there outside of really being a true box safety. I think that he's a guy that you want to keep high most of the time. And I realize this isn't directly answering your question at this point, but I think he's largely the same player that he's been, you know, throughout his career coming in as an immediate starter as a second round pick. When the Bengals weren't, you know, I wasn't expecting the Bengals to draft Jesse Bates that year. They looked set at safety, and then he came in, unseated their starter, and hasn't looked back. Yeah, okay. Well, Jake, I, I appreciate you coming on. You know, I've sat here for the last couple of weeks on Lockdown Falcons singing the praises of Jesse Bates, and I just was wanted to, you know, pick your brain on sort of why it didn't necessarily work out, because you always wonder a little bit with yeah. these free agent deals is if – the player is so good. Why wasn't he kept by the previous team? And I think you added some uh, much needed context in that conversation, but uh, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing that. Let the people know, you know, what's going on on locked on Bengals in the coming days and weeks. Well, we're waiting for the Bengals to make some moves in free agency. So far they've lost four players and re-signed one of their own in terms of significant playing time players, but we're covering free agency, of course, on locked on Bengals and, we're not really talking about Jesse Bates, unfortunately. We, we've known this was coming for the whole year. So uh, for any Falcons fans looking for coverage on Jesse Bates, I know you've got them covered here on Lockdown Falcons. Absolutely. Well, Jake, really appreciate it. Uh, look forward to what upcoming comic content you and James have over there on Lockdown Bengals. Really thank you for joining us on today's episode. 
So, guys, that's going to do it for us here on today's episode. Really appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, tomorrow, we should be joined by Jarvis Davis of ATL Day One's podcast. Uh, catch up with Jarvis. We haven't spoken to Jarvis since before uh, we both went down to Mobile. Uh, or We haven't spoken to Jarvis on the podcast since before we went down to Mobile. I haven't spoken to Jarvis since I was in Mobile at the Senior Bowl with him uh, in early February. So we've we got some catching up to do, some moves. So we'll, we'll pick Jarvis's brain on free agency and, and you know, so far and, and things moving forward. So we'll get into that potentially on tomorrow's episode and probably catch you up with whatever late night move the Falcons wound up making on Wednesday night as well. Uh, but guys, I hope you continue to make Lockdown Falcons your first listen. And for your second listen, make sure you check out the Lockdown NFL Scouting Podcast with the draft dudes, uh, getting a couple of guys being dudes and Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino taking you through all what it takes to be a, to build a successful NFL franchise on the Locked On NFL Scouting with the Draft Dudes podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, and on YouTube, all part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I, I want to talk a little bit of, about that contract because obviously the Bengals franchise tagged them a year ago, couldn't work out necessarily a deal. I've seen you know a lot of talk uh, from other folks that were while. Everybody acknowledges that Jesse Bates is a very good player. Is he the type of safety that? Is okay, my my internet went. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was just sitting here talking, and it was like, oh wait, <laughs> you just you just disappeared when you watch this back. You see me go like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, All right. We'll, we'll we'll pick up where I left off. <laughs> 